everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. As we continue this morning, we have a wonderful opportunity to hear from three people this morning. And I just encourage you, as you listen, to just be even praying, like, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Show me what you want me to take from this. I truly believe that God wants to speak to you in the depths of your heart. And this morning, the first speaker that we have is Danny Beecham. I get the pleasure of introducing Danny. I have known him for a long time. Danny and his wife, Shauna, have been coming to this church for more than 12 years, and they have been friends of ours, still are friends of ours. Danny's a father of two boys. He'll tell you a little more about himself, but what I really love about Danny is his heart for service. So anytime something is needed, Danny is the kind of guy that jumps in and does whatever job anytime. So I appreciate Danny, and I'm excited to hear what he has to say to us, so. Danny. Nebulous. Menagerie. Brouhaha. Ostentatious. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Words could sound odd and intriguing. Politics, war, epidemic, rage. Words can create tension within us, can cause us to feel uneasy or on edge. Peace, safety, comfort, love. Words can set us at ease and help us relax. Thanks to a stand-up comedian, George Carlin, we know that there are seven deadly words. But don't worry, that's not what this talk is about today. There are a copious number of words in the English language. Some have greater impact than others. A word's ability to be impactful sometimes depends on who is speaking those words and who's there to hear them. Words have power. And with any power, we choose how to wield that power. This power isn't as obviously strong as Superman or as flashy as Green Lantern's power ring, and it may not be as tough as Wonder Woman, but this power is still quite strong and extremely real. On a side note, I think that there have been a lot of Marvel references around this place and not nearly enough DC references. <laughs> Batman forever, I'm just saying. <laughs> We are responsible for our words and the good or the harm that they cause. We are accountable for our words, whether we like it, acknowledge it, or not. We are accountable to each other in this life, but more importantly, we are accountable to God in the next life for our eternal lives. Our words will be scrutinized. I remember as a kid, first learning that my words could and would be judged graded and corrected because they were the wrong words. 
Anytime I had to write an assignment of any kind throughout my academic career, my dad was the one who would proofread and edit all of my papers. I don't know where it is he came to find these grammatical superpowers he had, but they were fierce. There were times that I dreaded handing him my paper because I knew no matter how confident I was in my own ability, it was gonna come back to me with more red marks on it than there was black print. To this day, even after high school, college, and graduate school, my dad continues to be the most scrutinizing and toughest English grammar and writing teacher I've ever had, and I still don't like giving him my papers to edit. Words can convey more meaning than just what we intended to say. In high school, I went to a private religious school. Every morning, we had chapel in the big auditorium for attendance instead of a traditional homeroom. Kind of felt a lot like this environment, except a lot bigger. We'd hear morning announcements and that sort of thing. During my high school career, I got picked on a fair amount by a group of upperclassmen. They'd make fun of me, call me names, none of which I'm able to repeat here. But what was most impactful or significant to me about this experience was that this group of kids who picked on me included the kids who were in the student worship band. Maybe once a week, this student band would be up on stage during chapel, leading the entire school in praise and worship, just like our praise and worship team does on Sunday mornings. Except the kids at my high school worship team would sing about God's love, and then those same kids would mock me and curse me later on. They spoke and sang words of love and praise to God, and then they would speak words of spite and hatred to me. This led me to feel very bitter, frustrated, and even angry and dejected. It took me a long time to realize that I had let the harsh and hateful words of other flawed human beings, just like me, lead me away from a perfect savior who always loves us. Be mindful and more intentional of the words you use because they can lead us into sin. When I was in college, there was one occasion where I was extraordinarily careless with my words. In short, I spoke the wrong words to someone that I did not know was an undercover police officer. I got arrested. Suddenly, I was hearing words like felony, guilty, conviction, prison. I fractured my relationship with my parents and the rest of my family. I lost friends. I put my future and my life in danger because I was reckless with my words. Words teach knowledge and convey wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge take away fear and provide hope. Harsh and hurtful words can cut, devastate, and even destroy other people. Uplifting and encouraging words can empower someone else to accomplish tremendous feats and achieve lofty goals. Our words are powerful and we should take great care in how we use them. The word is a gift to us from God and we know that his word is the final word.
As some of you may know, I work for Mental Health Crisis Intervention here in Chester County. And this is essentially a Mental Health 911 for anyone experiencing a crisis situation or anyone who is looking for help for themselves or someone else who may be struggling. People sometimes ask me, <clears throat> excuse me, how it is that I do this type of work. The simplest or most efficient explanation that I've come up with is that I enjoy doing it. I think God put four simple words on my heart, and those words have kept me energized and empowered in the work that I do. How can I help? I know how confusing, frustrating, and maddening it can be to try to figure out how the mental health system operates on a good day. I work within the system, and it still confuses me sometimes. When I meet people, it's because they or someone they care about is experiencing one of the worst days or moments of their lives. They think, or they may be thinking about a hundred different things while also focused on trying to stay safe or keep a loved one safe, even if that loved one doesn't want them to. It's tremendously unfair to expect anyone in the midst of one of the worst or scariest experiences of their lives to also be capable of navigating the complexities of the healthcare system in order to find help for themselves or someone else. That's where I come in. How can I help? Words are important because they reveal the inner attitudes of our heart. Words have power and must be used cautiously, intentionally, and with great care. We should all strive to be like the person described in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. If that wording is a bit much, or perhaps a little too intimidating, verse 28 says it much simpler and more easy to understand, in my humble opinion. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. <laughs> I challenge each of us to endeavor to listen more than we speak and to be more mindful of and intentional with our words so that when we do speak, the words we choose will draw people together and direct them to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much, Danny. I feel pretty strongly that we should stop for a minute and pray. So if you're willing, I would love it if you would put your hand on your own heart and close your eyes and just allow me to pray over you um, in regards to what Danny has shared. So Jesus, we love you. And we know that you have the power to heal where words have hurt us or where we have hurt others with our words. So right now, just imagine with me that there is a chalkboard and that there are words written on that chalkboard. And now imagine Jesus coming with an eraser to just erase the power of those words. Allow Jesus to erase the hurt or erase the shame 
or erase the fear. Allow Jesus to erase the guilt and the self-condemnation. The anger, the vengeance. And imagine Jesus just taking the chalk and drawing a cross over and reminding you how much he loves you. As if he would say to you, I love you, my daughter. I love you, my son. You are forgiven. You can forgive yourself. And allow me to take away the power and the hurt of the words. Amen. Thank you, Danny, so much for sharing that and reminding us the power that words have. Our next speaker is very special to me because he's my son. It's Zachary. He is a star soccer player, and he is excited today. I'm very proud of him for being brave enough to come forward and to share a little piece of his life with you and how Jesus has really touched him lately. So, Zachary, come on up. This past year, when I was in fourth grade, I was feeling depressed. I wanted to take my life by jumping out the window. I would hear creepy voices in my room at night that were calling my name. It felt like I was in a spiritual battle, so my mom and I decided to pray over my room. We took out anything that felt evil, prayed over my room, and anointed the doors, window frames, and bunk bed with oil. We cast out any evil spirits in Jesus' name. After that, I did not want to take my life, and I did not hear any more creepy voices. I felt that Jesus helped me by getting rid of all the evil in my room. I also knew that Jesus saved my life by helping me realize that I have a purpose and that life is worth living. Thank you, Zachary. Again, I would love to stop for a moment and pray. So if you could just close your eyes for a second, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have a purpose for each and every one of us. And Lord, I just pray right now, if anyone is feeling just at the end of their rope, like they just don't want to keep going on with life, I pray right now that you would fill them with an incredible peace that they were meant to be here. In Jesus' name, I cast out any darkness, and we ask for more of your light in our hearts, in our minds, in our homes. Would you fill our homes with light and life? So more of you, Jesus. Amen. Our third and final speaker is Eric Nichols. He's been with us for 18 months. Eric is married to the Reverend Lumi, and he has two beautiful daughters, Teo and Anna. You may have seen Eric back at the sound booth serving or serving with our preschoolers. Thank you, Eric. Not an easy job. I have one. And we're, I'm so excited to have Eric here with us, so welcome him with me. 
Thank you, Emily. Um, okay, all those things are true. So I've got it pretty good right now. I've got daughters, I've got a house, I've got a job, I've got a wonderful wife, love to travel. Um, I'm here to tell you today that uh, that very nearly did not happen um, 20 years ago. I literally was standing at the edge of a cliff and I, I nearly jumped. I, I was suicidal. I, it was this close. Um, I haven't wanted to talk about this. I felt like God has been calling me to talk about this with TED Talks. Um, because really, I, I, I owe my life to God. Um, I feel like God took me back from that cliff. And I want to tell you what God did for me um, in the event that you can relate, as Emily said, um, or if you know anybody who can relate. And if you can't relate, there's going to be a day where you may. And I want to encourage you to build a relationship with God now because you may need it. So first... I got to tell you how I got in that cliff, you know, of course. Um, as you can tell by the boots, uh, and some of you guys might know, I grew up in Texas uh, to a Christian family, pretty uneventful childhood, just nothing really there that's of any interest. Um, whenever, I'm sorry, it's true, I was boring. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, my dad lost his job, and um, I don't really know the circumstances around it. I, I get the feeling he was fired. And um, I, I had been thinking about going off to college. I went to a fairly well-to-do school. People I was going to school with got these full rides. They were looking forward to party life. I had delusions that I would be able to do the same. Um, and whenever my father lost his job, all that went out the window. Um, we, we lost our house. Uh, we had to move into a rental. Um, my mom went back to work. She was a teacher. And it was, it brought up a lot of resentment to me um, because the person that I saw as the one who was providing for me and the family and leading our home quite literally was drinking himself to death and watching television and happy to take unemployment checks. And he, he never, he never worked again. He had a one job, uh, was a minor one, but he, he never really worked again. And um, it, it left me with one thing. That's, Never let this happen to you. Um, don't be like your dad. Don't fail like your father. And uh, do whatever you have to. Um, because someday there's going to be a family that relies upon you. And you're going to have to be able to provide for them. And you can't fail. So it was, it was a very avoid failure mindset that I had. Can't rely upon anybody else. The only person you can rely upon is yourself. And uh, thought about joining the army. Like I got the ASVAB, I did the physical. I was like going in, decided not to. Um, decided just to completely commit myself to work. So I mean, I was 18 years old, didn't have a family, but you know, I was doing all these things to be able to provide for my family. Uh, of course, didn't have the money to go to, to, to go off to college, so I lived at home. I commuted an hour and a half each way to a local state school. You guys might not believe it, but it was 500 bucks a semester. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. So I, I would go to school in the morning. I took a full course load. I'd wait tables in the evening. I'd work till 10. Uh, after I got off work, I would go home and I'd do my homework. And it was pretty typical, one or two in the morning, sometimes three until I would finish. Engineers in the room, statics is a very difficult class, homework every single day. And 
you know, you get weary whenever you're in a situation like that. Um, but this whole thing with don't feel like dad was always in the back of my head. Don't feel like dad. Don't feel like dad. Never went to sports events, just went really crazy with work and pushed myself extremely hard, got straight A's and graduated as a valedictorian. Um, essentially work had become an aisle, right? Um, it, I was obsessive about work. It came at extremely high cost. Um, even though I was raised in a church, I, I never went to church. I, I worked on Sunday mornings. Uh, I didn't pray, didn't tithe, I didn't read my Bible. I, I just completely gave up my belief altogether. And this was for six years. So it wasn't like it was just one or two weeks. Um, and what started out as this good desire came into an idol for me. My, my work was my idol, it was an obsession. Um, I like to do a little bit of audience participation because there's a word that describes people like this. There's a parable in Luke, it's Luke 12. It's this great parable about this person who was doing pretty well and he had too much money. He's like, oh, I'm gonna tear down my barns and build new barns and I'll take it easy. And Jesus called him a thank you. Somebody got it. It's, was it already up there? Nope. There you go. Yeah. So I was a fool, right? And I don't know, a lot of Americans are like this. I mean, I don't know if this is like you, is the American dream driving, you think you've got security through your finances. Um, and I think I'm not the only one who thinks that you don't have time for God. Um, after I graduated from college, I did everything that I thought would be safe, right? Don't fail like that. That's the thing in the back of my head. I became an engineer in the defense industry. Nobody ever loses their job as an engineer in the defense industry, right? It's totally stable. It's not like I'm going into a dot-com or something like that, you know? So had this secure job, got married, bought a house, got a dog and a cat. You know, like how, how much safer could you be? And, you know, I thought I was safe. You know, my, I'm, I'm not going to fail like my father. I've worked like this for seven years. And like that rich fool, I can sit back and be safe. But you guys know where this is going, right? I mean, 9-11 happened, right? And um, probably a lot of you are too young to remember 9-11. But 9-11 was like COVID, but compressed in three days, right? So it was this terrorist attack. New York City and DC got attacked. There was a plane that crashed here in Pennsylvania. 3,000 people died. Everybody panicked. And the economy completely shut down. And the program that I was on that was supposed to be this reliable program, I would never have to be worried about getting laid off, got canceled because the government needed to fund its, its war effort. Um, so the entire company was laid off. The everybody was in the program. I was in the first round. Um, and I was laid off within a week of the terrorist attack. And it was crushing to me, right? Because the only thing I was driving for for the last eight years of my life is don't be a failure like your father and provide financially for your family. And I had a family and I was going through all this self-doubt and to make things worse, Whenever I sit down to talk to my wife, to tell her about the fact that I had lost my job, she chooses that time to tell me that she's been having an affair. And so literally within 10 days, I went from somebody who had this massive ego on the top of my head, thinking 
I'm at the top of my game, I've got this reliable thing, I can rely upon myself, everything is safe, to being a divorcee who was broke, who was losing his house, who was sleeping on his friend's couch. Um, I mean, you guys may not get this because it's a Texas reference, but it was like a bad country and western song. It was like lost everything. The only thing I was missing, I didn't lose my truck because I didn't have a truck. Yeah. Um, and it was more than I could take. Uh, I was looking for a job for months, but nobody was hiring. I mean, especially considering I was working in the government, nobody knew what the government budget was going to be like. I couldn't get a job. My ex-wife was verbally abusive, adding to all my low self-esteem. I was the first one in my generation to get a divorce. I was ashamed. I was in shambles. And, and really, I didn't have anything to do all day but berate myself with this internal, internal, endless internal dialogue about how worthless I was. And, and that's what brought me there. That's, that's why I was suicidal. Um, there were some other people that were struggling with depression and struggling with suicide. I do believe that suicide is a evil presence and it can kind of get on you and it can be difficult to get out there. And uh, I, I was bitten by it and I was taken by it and I went to this place called Mirwood Forest, which is a beautiful place. It's out in California. It's got these huge trees. I decided that was going to be the place that I would do it. Um, I found this cliff. It was like 150 feet tall. It was insane. And I, I climbed over the barrier, and I looked down, and I was torn. I was like, there's conflict between me. Like 99% of me wanted to jump. Um, but there was this one little thing that was back in my mind that was bugging me. And that was something that my uh, aunt said to me. Um, my aunt, Aunt Penny, got a lover. I was going to try to do like a southern accent of her, but it just doesn't work. I mean, she, she was larger than the life woman. Um, she invited us, everybody, over to her house uh, for Thanksgiving. And she, um, she pulled me aside, you know, like, during dishes, and she tried to have a conversation with me. She tried to get me to talk about what I was going through, and uh, I, I wouldn't share anything. I was totally evasive, and I mean, again, I was, I was ashamed. But whenever she saw that I, I couldn't open up, she said, well, let me just tell you, I've been through a lot of hard things in my life, and uh, Jesus always has seen me through. And... Um, when she told me that, I, I, I laughed at her. Like, I, I said, you know, where, where has God been for me? Where has Jesus been for me whenever I'm going through all these different things? You know, I, I thought I was a victim. I thought I had deserved everything. And uh, my relationship was so bad with God that I really didn't think that that was true. You know, I, I thought bad things happen. The only people that I have tried to depend upon my life, my father, myself, and at that time my ex, had let me down, and so how, how can I rely upon God? So I was on that cliff, and I wanted to do it. I wanted to, let it, I wanted to get rid of everything. But her words came back to me, and I didn't believe what, he, what she said, but what she said introduced doubt into my commitment to do suicide. And I, I, I love to sit here and say, 
that I had this great conversation with God and I committed my life to Christ and all those different types of things. Uh, but in reality, it's not true. In reality, I procrastinated. And I, I basically, I was talking to God and I was praying to God and I said, I think my Aunt Penny is nuts. I don't think I can rely upon you, but I'm going to give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, I can just come back here later and I can kill myself then. And <laughs> even though that's probably like the record of the most undeserving, pathetic prayer ever, God did save me. And uh, my Aunt Penny was right. Um, and uh, a lot of things happened that um, I do believe were miraculous. And I, I really want to share those with you today because what my Aunt Penny said, there's a lot of truth to it. Um, again, the thing I was most afraid about was financial failure. And I was driving home one day. I had, it was my first car. It was the only car I ever had. It had 300,000 miles on it. And it broke down on the side of the road. And whenever I say it broke down, I mean it caught on fire. Like there was smoke everywhere. You know, I was trying to get a job. I was trying to get a life under me. And this thing happened. And it was just like the last straw. I don't remember if this was before or after I was on the cliff. But I just, I felt horrible. I don't know if it was right the next day, but it was pretty close to it. I got a phone call from this repair shop from somebody I'd never met before. It's a long story, has like 20 different conditions on it. I don't have time to tell you, but they basically said, if you can get back to me by the end of the day and you can scratch up 300 bucks, I've got a car for you. And I, I really do feel like it was God who made that happen. And the thing that was most meaningful to me at the time is it was a sequence of events, bizarre sequence of events that took 10 days to play out. And those things started happening before my car broke down. So I feel not just that God helped me, but he helped me by putting things into place for things that I needed in the future, which was just mind-blowing to me. But it happens all the time. Um, because I was so desperate, I started talking to God after years. And miraculously, God started talking back to me. Um, there was a car ride that I had. It was 10 hours. This is this was a new car, not old car. And uh, I had the best conversation I've ever had with God. I mean, to that date and up to now. And it, it didn't just feel like something that was on, on one end. It was like God was right there in the car with me. And I was having a conversation with him for 10 hours. And it, it really was what I needed at the time because I needed to be able to feel like I had somebody who I could rely upon. And so I needed God, and God was there for me. The biggest one, though, was um, I finally got a job. You know, it was months. I mean, it almost took me nine months. But it was in Alabama. And for anybody who's here is from Alabama or loves Alabama, God bless you. I did not want to move to Alabama. It was... This small town, didn't know anybody there. I mean, literally the KKK was founded five miles away from where I was moving to. It was not a happy place in my mind. Again, if you're from Alabama, I am so sorry I just said that. Um, but it was there that I met Lumi. Um, Lumi was living in Chattanooga, and it, she's, she's amazing. There's, there's nobody who's like her. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to meet with her, but she's an amazing woman. And um, I would have never met her 
if I hadn't lost my job and if I hadn't moved to Alabama. And I did not want to move to Alabama and God made it the only choice because there was no other job out there for me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to talk about this and it's hard for me to think about this. And it's been 21 years and I still, I can't, I can't talk about it. But God used those very difficult things that were going through my life, and, and he used it for his own purposes. Um, I mean, God's hand was all the way through it. And I, I can't say that I enjoyed it. I mean, it was a very painful experience, difficult experience, but um, I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened. Like it, I, I hate to say that to anybody who's on a difficult situation, but... God took something that was really horrible and he made it into a wonderful thing. And if I had jumped off that cliff 20 years ago, I wouldn't have had any of this. Um, I wouldn't have never met Lumi. I would not have these two wonderful kids. And, uh, oh my goodness, it would just been, been a bad thing. And so if, so, okay, what do I, what do I want to leave you guys with? So there's a scripture here. It's from Matthew. And I know everybody's seen this a million different times, but it really means a lot to me. Um, this is, this is, Jesus was saying this. Says, Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? That was me, you know. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what, that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Right? So, so, so what? Like why? So this, this is me. This is my story. I chased after those things. It became a form of idolatry. I tried to do it without God. I gave up my relationship with God. I didn't go to church on Sundays. I tried to put it all on my back. I was a fool. Do not be a fool. There is nothing that you're going to be able to build in this life that's going to be able to make you safe. But God can do absolutely anything. God will not fail you. God will, um, God will help, help you in your time of need. So, like I said, it was a pathetic prayer whenever I was up there on the cliff in Mirward Forest, but I have since decided to make the kingdom of God my foundation. Um, I, I did decide to get rebaptized. I was baptized as an infant. I didn't feel like that was a true dedication. I now make church a priority. I make God a priority. Um, try to read scripture first thing every morning, not miss a church service whenever I can. And my mess, I've got two messages for you. So those of you who are there, who are at the end of your rope and are on your own personal cliff, I want to say to you what my Aunt Penny said to me. And it's, I've been through hard times. God saw me through them. He can do the same for you. There is hope. I want to introduce doubts into your hopelessness. And I pray for you that God surprises you the same way that God surprises me. And what you think is a hopeless situation will be used to something that is much better. If you're not at the end of the rope and you're not in your own personal cliff and you're we're like me and you think your life is safe and secure, but you've fallen away from God, those thoughts are foolish and that you need to build a relationship with God because dark times will come because they come to everyone. And those, that relationship is what's going to get you through it. 
So trust in the Lord with your hearts and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Thank you for your attention. Thank you so much for sharing that, Eric. We now get to enter into a time of praise and worship. And in response to what Eric is sharing, something that stood out to me was when he was talking about feeling those thoughts about taking his life and like feeling the darkness and how often the enemy wants to attack us in that way. And so I just want to read one quick thing to you while Steve gets set up here. It's a book that talks as if God is talking to you. Give it to me. Give me much. Give to me often. I dwell in the midst of the praises of my people. I dwell there because I am happiest there. And just as surely as you make me happy with your praising, you will make the enemy the most unhappy. He has no power whatsoever over a praising Christian. He cannot stand against a praising church. This is the most powerful weapon you can use against him. So praise is like a two-edged sword, the one side bringing health to your own spirit and the other side cutting down the enemy. So let's praise God with all our hearts. I invite you to stand and to sing your praise to God. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.